the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City, WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. When Adam rebelled and sinned against God's command, he rebelled against Almighty God. But interestingly enough, God didn't declare war back on man. Man declared war on God. God didn't declare war back on man. Instead, he went and sought Adam. Remember the Bible says that he cried out, Adam, where are you? Where are you? God certainly knew where he was, but he was reaching out to him, calling out after him. And you see, it was Adam who ran from God, not God who ran from Adam. And ever since then, man has been running from God, rebelling against him, and he has declared war on deity. He is at war with deity, and God has been, in a sense, calling him to return ever since. So reconciliation then basically means that the war is over. The war is over. The Greek word specifically means to change in a relationship. It's a change in a relationship. And the specific word that Paul uses here is an intense form of that Greek word. And so it means a thorough, a complete change in a relationship. by verse a radio program dedicated to carefully teaching God's word by moving through a passage of scripture one verse at a time. Our teacher is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His name is Steve Kreloff. Now we are in the midst of studying the incomparable Christ, a series of messages taken from Colossians chapter 1. Today, Pastor Steve will begin with verse 19, a powerful verse that explains who Jesus is. However, the verses that follow are also very powerful. And there is one word that Paul uses in these verses that sums up the theme and the subject of this passage. That word is reconciliation. Paul mentions it in verse 20. He says, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. He mentions it again in verse 22. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body. And every thought in these verses is attached in one way or another to the concept of reconciliation. So the question is, what does reconciliation mean? Let's find out. Here is Pastor Steve. I'd like you to open your Bibles, please, to Paul's letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 Beginning at verse 19, we're studying this wonderful letter packed full of doctrinal information about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, and now Paul takes us on still deeper into this marvelous truth that Jesus Christ is supreme above angels and above anything and anyone else. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. 
For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. There is one word that Paul uses in these verses that I think sums up the theme and the subject of this passage, and that is the word reconciliation. If you're looking to put a handle on these verses, it's found in the word reconciliation. He mentions it in verse 20. He says, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. He mentions it in verse 22, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body. And every thought in these verses is attached in one way or another to the concept of reconciliation. So the question is, what does reconciliation mean? What does it mean to be reconciled? It is a term, unfortunately, that many people are familiar with in our day and age, in our society, because we use a form of this term to explain marriages that are not working out. We say they have irreconcilable differences. That is to say that those who would say they have that mean we have differences that we just can't settle. We can't resolve our differences so that hostility continues to exist rather than peace. People who have irreconcilable differences are people out of harmony with each other. They're basically at war with each other. There is no peace. They have become enemies rather than friends. That's what it means to have irreconcilable differences. Now, what can take place on a human level between a husband and wife has also taken place between man and God. Back in the Garden of Eden, man declared war on God. When Adam rebelled and sinned against God's command, he rebelled against Almighty God. But interestingly enough, God didn't declare war back on man. Man declared war on God. God didn't declare war back on man. Instead, he went and sought Adam. Remember the Bible says that he cried out, Adam, where are you? Where are you? God certainly knew where he was, but he was reaching out to him, calling out after him. And you see, it was Adam who ran from God, not God who ran from Adam. And ever since then, man has been running from God, rebelling against him, and he has declared war on deity. He is at war with deity, and God has been, in a sense, calling him to return ever since. So reconciliation then basically means that the war is over. The war is over. The Greek word specifically means to change in a relationship. It's a change in a relationship. And the specific word that Paul uses here is an intense form of that Greek word. And so it means a thorough, a complete change in a relationship. That's what it means to be reconciled, a change in a relationship. In other words, man's reconciled to God in the sense that there's been a complete change from being God's enemy to now becoming his friend. The hostility has been removed so that now there's peace, there's no longer war. And that's what these verses are about. The change in our relationship with God and how Christ and his death on the cross have brought about that change that we put a label on and call it reconciliation. 
Now, the question we need to ask ourselves as we study this is why, at this point in Paul's letter, would he go into reconciliation? I mean, where did this come from? Did it just pop up in his mind? Or is there a plan as the Spirit of God led him and guided him? Is there some logical progress? Is there some flow? Is there some systematic approach in Paul's mind? And yes, there is. You must remember the background of this letter. The Colossians were being influenced by a group of false teachers, probably the forerunners of what later developed in the second century called Gnosticism. We don't know if it was developed at this point, but these were the beginnings of it. And these false teachers came into the church and they taught that reconciliation with God had to do with angels. They said there are eons and eons of angels and God is holy and the world is sinful and God is neither created this world because he's too holy and it's a wicked world and so he created these angels and as you get further down on the chain, the last one was the creator and not only that, but God is so holy that he wouldn't reconcile this world. He's not interested in reconciling this world. And so he's also committed the ministry of reconciliation to angels. That somehow, in a way that we don't fully understand because it's not revealed to us, somehow angels were the key to getting close to God. If you want to get close to God and become a friend of God, you needed to have some to go through the angels. And Paul wants these dear Colossians to know that there's only one person and one way that we can be reconciled to God, and it's not through angels, it's through Jesus Christ. Now here's the progression of thought. In the previous verses, Paul has taught that Jesus Christ is, number one, the image of the invisible God. He says this in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We looked at that. He is the image of the invisible God. He is not an angel. He is God himself. Secondly, he said that Jesus Christ is the creator. As God, he is also the creator. Angels didn't create this world. God did it, and he did it in the person of the Son of God. Verse 16, for in him all things were created. Then he said in verse 18 that not only is Jesus Christ the image of the invisible God, not only is he the creator of all things, but he is the head of the church, his body. Verse 18, he is also the head of the body, the church. So what he's affirming is that Jesus Christ is not an angel. Jesus Christ is God. He's the creator. He's the head of his church that he might have supremacy in all things. Now, as he moves on to verse 19, he begins to teach that Jesus Christ is not only the image of God, he's not only the creator, he's not only the head of the church, he is the reconciler. No angel can reconcile man to God. He is the reconciler. This is a passage filled with doctrine, doctrine that ought to change your life, theology that ought to issue out in change. Now, in explaining to the Colossians that Christ's work on the cross is sufficient for reconciliation, Paul gives four truths, four basic truths about reconciliation, and that's what the passage is about, that's what this message is about. First truth, he gives the provision for reconciliation. It's through the cross of Christ. Second truth, he gives the participants of reconciliation. It's not only wicked man, you're going to see it's creation as well. Thirdly, he speaks of the purpose of reconciliation. Why have we been reconciled to God? What does God want out of that reconciliation? And that is, he'll say, holiness and a change of life. And fourthly, he tells us the proof of reconciliation. How do you know if you've been reconciled to God? How do you know you're not still at war with God? How do you know that you've been brought into a changed relationship? The proof is that you continue in the faith. And that's what we want to look at 
This morning, we want to delve into these verses. Now, reconciliation may just be, at this point, a big theological word that perhaps you are acquainted with, perhaps you've just heard for the first time. But when we finish this passage, you will have a deeper appreciation for this doctrine, for the relationship you have with Jesus Christ, or you will know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The war is not over. You're still at war with him. Some of us, and here's where it becomes very practical, some of us desperately want peace in our lives. Some of us are striving for peace in our lives, and we're looking for it in all the wrong places. If you want peace, you need to make peace with God on his terms, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's begin by looking at the first truth about reconciliation, the provision for this reconciliation. It's found in verse 19. Paul writes, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Having just stated in verse 18 that Christ has supremacy over all things, that he has first place, Paul now gives the reason for this. Why does he have first place? Because all of divine fullness dwells in Christ. In other words, God the Father finds pleasure in the fact that all of the attributes and the powers of God reside in Jesus Christ. It may not be obvious to you at first, but this is a direct slap in the face of the heretical teachers who said that this term fullness that's there, notice verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. They probably used this word fullness. It's a reoccurring word in the epistle, but they probably used this word fullness to speak of the totality of divine attributes and powers, which they said were distributed among the angels. We know that in the second century, the Gnostics used that term in a technical way to say this is how it was distributed. All the fullness of God distributed amongst the angels. And Paul is refuting that error and saying, no, you're wrong. He is refuting it by saying that all that God is dwells in his son because this son is fully God. He stated this, in fact, more clearly in chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily Form. It all dwells there, and the word here is it dwells permanently. Not like some cults teach today that Jesus Christ had deity, it came upon him, they say, and then it left him at the cross. That is not what Paul teaches. Jesus Christ has always been God. Jesus Christ will continue to always be God. Now, why is this so important that we know that Jesus Christ is fully God? And how does this affect reconciliation? Notice verse 20. And through him, he says, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Because since Jesus Christ is God, he is the only one who can put God and man together. No angel could do that. No mere man could do that. Why? Because it says that having made peace through the blood of his cross. Let's stop here for a moment and think this through. Man's biggest problem is that he's fighting God. You may not realize that. You may think that there are other things that are more important. Everything else is symptomatic of that fact. Man is at war with God. He's been running from God's rule and reign all of his life, and he's at war with deity. That's the biggest problem. And what he needs above all else is peace. Now, when I say peace, I don't mean a feel-good, all-my-circumstances-are-great kind of peace. That's what some people think peace is, and it's just a good feeling. But what we need is to have our sin dealt with so that the barrier that has separated us from God, the barrier between God and man can be removed. There is a barrier there. See, God's attitude towards sin is that he hates it. 
His attitude he calls wrath, the wrath of God. He hates our sin and we cannot have peace with him and be at peace with him while our sin goes unpunished. Let's look at John chapter 3, verse 36. I want you to see the wrath of God. There's so much talked about the love of God that we fail to balance that with the great truth of God's wrath. In John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus said, He who believes the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that those who don't know Christ are children of wrath. God hates sin. And his attitude is one of wrath. Therefore, the only way that we could be reconciled to God was for God's wrath to be appeased, for God's holiness to be satisfied. And it was. And that's the point of verse 20. By the death of his son. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was a death that was a substitute for us. And you should know that. Maybe that's new to many of you. Maybe that's never really sunk in. It was a substitution for you. God's wrath against sin was poured out on Christ so that God's holiness was satisfied and the barrier of sin was then removed. It was removed. And that's why only Jesus Christ could be the reconciler because as God, he could make a complete and perfect sacrifice. But God can die without becoming man. As man, he could die. As God, he could make a perfect sacrifice. As the God-man, he has provided reconciliation. Now, because the barrier is removed, you can be reconciled to God. That doesn't mean because of the fact that it was removed that you are reconciled, you must appropriate it. It was provided for you. The provision is there. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll look at this a little bit later, but we'll be referring to the 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, but that doesn't mean the world is reconciled, does it? We're going to look at that in a moment. It simply means the provision was there. The barrier is down. It's provided. But you have to appropriate it. And how do you appropriate it? You appropriate it by faith. By faith. You trust his reconciliation for you. Now, what Paul is really teaching is that angels can't get you to God. Only Christ can. The God-man. He can bring God and man together. And he has done this by shedding his blood on the cross. Now, I don't think anybody here really believes in the 20th century that Angels are going to get us close to God. But there are people who believe that good works will, people who believe that baptism will, people who believe that church membership will, that giving will, all of these things, that doing things will get you close to God. It is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we must never deviate from that truth. Never, because that's the foundation. And whether you've heard it time and again, you need to be reminded of that. Reconciliation has been provided through Christ. So he paid the price of your rebellion and that reconciliation is possible for anyone, but reconciliation goes beyond us, and I want you to see that. The provision has been made. That's truth number one. Truth number two is the participants of reconciliation. This is fascinating. Notice verse 20 again. It says, And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Notice the word all things. Paul says he's reconciled all things, and then he clarifies this. He defines the all things by saying things on earth and things in heaven. In other words, everything in God's universe is going to be reconciled to him. Now that ought to have a question jump out in your minds. And the question ought to be something like this. If all things are going to be reconciled 
to God through Jesus Christ, does that mean that everybody is eventually going to be saved? That is a teaching known as universalism, that everyone in the universe is going to be saved, that eventually it's all going to work out and everyone's going to be saved. That's a heretical teaching. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible very clearly says that most people are not going to be saved. And when I say saved, I mean saved from the penalty of sin, which is hell. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are on that path. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus spoke specifically about hell. Very sad few verses. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say also to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In Revelation chapter 20, we're told about the eternal hell and the eternal lake of fire. And it speaks of people being sent to hell. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, Paul speaks about whose end is destruction. Not annihilation, but ongoing ruin, eternal ruin. So as we compare Scripture with Scripture, we know that Paul cannot mean that every individual is going to be saved when he says that he's reconciled all things to himself. So what does he mean by that? How are all things on earth and things in heaven going to be reconciled? Let's think for a moment. Back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, after God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says that God saw all that he had done, and behold, he said it was very good. The physical earth, man included, God looked at and said it's very good. God was satisfied. God not only said it was good, God said it was very good. Physical creation was at that point in complete harmony with its creator. And there was complete harmony between creature and creature. And creature and physical creation. Nature was in harmony with itself. Nature was in harmony with God. Creation functioned as God intended it to function. But when man sins, all of that changed. Not only did man fall, But the Bible says that physical creation, and that would also mean the animal world, all of it, involuntarily, was cursed by God. It's now a cursed world. Man sinned, and then sin entered the world, and it has plunged creation into being cursed. Therefore, the earth we live on, as I said, through no fault of its own, is a cursed, fallen world out of harmony with its creator. It's, It's out of sync. You may go to parts of this planet and think how beautiful, but it is a planet out of sync. With God. It is a cursed world. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. Paul says in Romans 8 that the creation groans. That's not simply poetic language. That's reality. Romans chapter 8 verse 18. Paul said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. So Paul is saying, hey, there's a great future for us. But then he expands it. He says, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The whole creation is saying, yes, come, Lord Jesus. Come and fully redeem them in their bodies so we could stop groaning. Notice he goes on to say, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility and not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. What he's saying is that this whole 
created world is fallen. It's cursed. But when Jesus Christ returns, he will remove the curse as he sets up his kingdom and he will begin to restore the earth so that there's harmony as it's brought back into a right relationship with its creator. That's why, be careful when Christmas time rolls around and you're singing Isaac Watts' great hymn, Joy to the World. That is not about the first coming of Christ, though it's a great song. It's about the second coming of Christ. And let heaven and nature sing. Heaven and nature sing. And they said, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He will lift the curse when he comes. Not the first time, but the second time, as he now comes to reign and to rule and to restore this world back into harmony the way it was intended to be. As we started our program today, we started with the question, what is reconciliation? That was a pretty good explanation of reconciliation by our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. We could also say it is God making friends with the world again. Creation will be subdued and submit to God's purpose. Now, I hope you've been enjoying Colossians chapter 1 as much as I have. We have more to learn about God and His reconciling the world to Himself. So please make plans to join us for the next verse-by-verse program. And if you are ever in the Clearwater, Florida area, you are invited to visit Lakeside Community Chapel. Come on a Sunday and join in worship with the folks at Lakeside. You can find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.